So hi there, this is Oliver here. We're here with Ali. How are you doing, Ali? Come to the end of our first run of podcast number five. Yeah, this is the end of the season. Summer is coming. Yeah. Well, I'm actually winter for me. I'm going to Australia <laughs> in a week to do an internship. Okay. Um, we'll work out how we're going to go forward and hopefully continue next year. But for now, this is going to be it. Yeah. Um, so we're going to talk about two different things. What would you like to talk about this week? I would like to speak about E3. Cool. I yeah. love it. Yeah. So very interesting stuff happening. I mean, continuing the theme that we have spoke already about subscription, a subscription model. Mm-hmm. What we had was uh, Ubisoft came out with their own subscription service, which will be called Uplay. It will be priced at $14.99 and will be basically offering access to all of their uh, library. Uh, what I felt is interesting is now you have Ubisoft coming up with their own uh, service, uh, EA, they already have something mm-hmm. EA access, which would provide you limited access. But then, how will that play within Google Stadia coming up? And PlayStation has already like a limited service that's running. And Xbox, they're announcing their own thing as well, which is will also be continuing running. So it will be very interesting dynamics. And am I right in saying is there some kind of connection between? I think Ubisoft doing something different with regards to Stadia versus the other the other models. Yeah, I mean it's still because a lot of. Details have not been shared about how everything will work out. I think this definitely becomes a question about whether uh, Ubisoft will offer all of its uh, content on uh, Google Stadia or will retain its uh, content and offer selected content Mm. to Google Stadia. So that's something definitely we'll have to figure out. Interesting. And so at at the conference... One of the big players, Sony, wasn't there, but Microsoft yeah. was. Did they yeah. announce something interesting? Yeah. So yeah, Microsoft they have announced their uh, new uh, project, which is Project Scarlet, which basically will be a new console that will be coming out. Uh, but what's really interesting is Microsoft announced Project Cloud X, which will basically be a streaming service. Mm-hmm. Uh, we know uh, that it will be launched in October two thousand nineteen. Uh, we know that it basically uh, focused on streaming through mobile and tablets, and there is a secondary aspect to it where you probably can be able to play Xbox games on other consoles. I don't know how will that exactly work. Uh, apparently, they did a, a, a they did a preview of that in the, at the conference. Mm-hmm. This will be what's what's really interesting about this is this uh, will run the same code that is run by the Xbox One uh, family. Uh, so it will work could work with the entire Xbox One uh, library, the mm-hmm. 3,500 games that they have, as compared to the Google Stadia, which was designed, with the games were designed without Google Stadia in mind. So all of the games that will be there will require some form of, uh, basically, uh, uh, will require some port yeah. from that to that. So uh, I, th- I felt that this will be very interesting. So it might actually make it easier for developers if they're just using exactly the same code that they've yeah. already developed for the, the console yeah. to then put on, on the on the cloud. Yeah. I guess it'll be interesting to see how that works when the Scarlet comes out and they actually were moving to a new generation. So I guess yeah. they will just move from Xbox One to, to Scarlet. So I guess it'll be quite straightforward. Yeah. I think the other thing you mentioned was being on mobile and tablets. There were rumors before the conference that they might actually come out with Nintendo and say that the the service will be available on the Switch. That didn't happen, yeah. but it'd be interesting to see if that happens going forward. Sure. I mean, uh, they mentioned that the console streaming will be a secondary aspect to it, so we'll, maybe they're basically wrapping up for this. Yeah. Yeah. Very good. Oliver, what do you want to talk about? <laughs> so I want to talk about another type of conference. We're talking about conferences quite a lot this week. So yeah. E3 is a gaming conference. I wanted to talk about WWDC, which is Apple's developer conference. 
Um, typically somewhere that's quite software focused where they present the kind of the, the new details of iOS and Mac OS for mm. their developers so that people can adapt and, and make things for their, their, their platforms. Um, this year there was some big um, hardware announcement. There's the new Mac Pro, it's like a $5,000 very high-end um, computer for professionals. And we also started to see some of the new iOS features, um, which everyone gets very excited about having a dark mode. I don't really understand. <laughs> I see you've got dark mode yeah, on your computer. I don't know why people care so much about that, but anyway, whatever. So, uh, yeah, I mean, Apple has been championing privacy for a mm. while now. Was that at the conference? Yes. So, actually, I think one of the most interesting things at the conference was a privacy play. So, while it seems like quite a small thing, I think it's quite significant. So, Apple announced basically a sign-in with Apple feature. So, we see oh, when we okay. go to um, websites at the moment, you can sign in with Facebook and Google. Mm -hmm. Now, you will be able to uh, sign in with Apple. And I think what the, the, the big difference here, though, is that when Google and Facebook do it, that data is used and, and, and given to third parties and mm -hmm. sold as part of their um, advertising business model, which is obviously we know Google and Facebook, that's how they make their money. Mm -hmm. Apple have said that they will not do this and no information that you don't, like basically not, no serious information will be passed over to third parties. Um, I think one thing that's interesting about this is it's not just an Apple feature. It's also going to be available on Chrome and, okay. and outside, which I think yeah. shows that they take it very seriously and they mm. want to offer this to everyone. Um, another interesting feature is that it's going to be essentially required. So any developer that uses the Facebook or Google login will have to put the Apple one. I'm talking about on an Apple okay. app, okay. and it will be the top one. So oh. they're basically <laughs> going to force you down the throat. But I think but given that... Um, the extra benefits I think you get from this over the other feet, others. Yeah. I don't see why, this seems like a really good idea for everyone. And, and I think having that convenience factor will mean it will be adopted quite quickly by everyone. Um, and I think this is just adds to the kind of narrative that Apple are building around privacy. So we know that iMessage is obviously encrypted. Um, Safari, they've been discussing preventing third party tracking on Safari. And I think this is just another step. And I think it's a positive step for the kind of post Cambridge Analytica world that we live in yeah. that, companies are starting to take it seriously, particularly when you look at other companies that maybe don't seem to be doing as much. Yeah, and I think, uh, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, my understanding is this will be completely anonymous. So yes. you, the site will not know that you have logged in. How, how will that... So every time, so you, you're, I mean, it's, I mean, it, oft, often you're using it to, you then provide your information if it's okay. a sign up. So yeah. that bit's not anonymous, but in terms of email, the way that it works is it generates a new anonymous email every oh, wow. time they use the, 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 the um, the, the, the service, service. Yeah. so every single time you use a different um uh, go into a different app okay. you'll have a, a new uniquely yeah, generated I mean, apple <laughs> apple email so that i think that shows the kind of power of the of the tool yeah for sure i mean that's super interesting what are i uh, anything else on so their ipad the iphone yeah so that? we we both have ipads you remember, yeah. remember how excited <laughs> i was when i got one at christmas <laughs> So I got the iPad Pro for Christmas this year, which was very nice. Thanks, Mum. And uh, one thing they announced on the, on the iPad side was that they were properly splitting out the iPad OS from the iOS. So when we obviously know that we started with the iPhone before the mm. iPad, and when the iPad came along, they basically just used a version of the iPhone um, firmware for the iPad. Um, now we've realized, and I think a lot of the reviews when the iPad Pro came out at Christmas when I bought it, was that fantastic hardware, very powerful, very quick, but being held back by the iOS software. Oh, okay. And so 
Apple are going to try and solve that problem. So new features will include so better multitasking. So you'll be finally able to open up two versions of the same app. So you can have two browsers next to each other, which is really cool. Um, Desktop style browsing. So instead of having like the Safari, there'll be a Safari, a version of Safari closer to what exists on the Mac, Mm. including a download manager. So you'll properly be able to like look Mm. after the stuff that you download through Safari. And there's a desktop style file management system, so like a Finder type thing mm. for for iPad instead of having the kind of very basic file manager that they have at the moment. Um, mouse support and USB support, so you'll be able to plug in your USB um, thumb drives as well oh, as wow. like if you have a camera and you want to import your okay. your your photos into like a Lightroom or a Photoshop, yeah. it's going to be easy, straightforward. That's super interesting because I feel like now Apple is kind of unleashing the power of the iPad because yeah. it always felt like it's a really good tool, but you, you're just not getting enough out of it. Totally. I mean, yeah. the hardware is all there. It's just the software now. Yeah. So we're going to see, I mean, it'll be interesting to see. I, I, think, I think it's still, it's probably going to take more than one year. This is the first step. So maybe the next version of iPad OS will be even more in the right direction, but I'm, I'm glad as a user to be seeing that I can use it. And I think it's just those, there's going to be those moments where you don't have your laptop yeah. and you want to be able to use your iPad properly yeah. and you might want to go on Google Docs properly on the, on the web. Yeah. And this will allow you to do that. So I think this is a pretty good step for like for um, basically being able to use an yeah, iPad in, uh, more yeah. often and in, in better ways. So yeah, those are the two things that I took away from the conference. I thought they were both quite interesting. Ah, fantastic. Uh, really interesting stuff. I love my iPad. I hope I really, I always want to use it more. So I hope with these updates, I'll be able to kind of get more out of it. So thank you guys for listening. Uh, we have an amazing interview coming up and uh, speak to you soon. Bye. Today we have a very interesting interview. We have we're meeting uh, Freddie Briance, who's the director of Launchpad uh, for the year 2019. Uh, we'll discuss Launchpad, the program, how it has developed, its history, and what can you do to get on the next Launchpad. Hope you enjoy it. Hi, Freddie, and welcome to the London Entrepreneurship Review Podcast. Very Thank- happy to have you here. Thanks for having me. It's great to be here. Uh, yeah, so I'm Aleem Jiwa. I'm an MBA 2020 student, uh, also a failed applicant of Launchpad. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> you didn't tell me that in advance. <laughs> we want to uh, surprise you with this. <laughs> uh, so, no, so I should have done my research better. Yeah. <laughs> so tell us, Freddie, uh, you, you know, you, you told us earlier you're an MBA 2019 student, yeah. but you're also running Launchpad. Yeah, so uh, one of the great things about LBS Launchpad is that it is student run. So a team of six students, mixture of MBAs and um, masters in management from the junior programs here at London Business School uh, run the program. They do it for free. They work all year round. And, and the, the point of that is really to get exposure into the accelerator space, to plug into some of the ecosystems throughout the city um, and kind of give back to the community. So, you know, uh, when I when I joined the, the program two years ago, um, it was much smaller, but we, we, me with a team of uh, five others, built out this program, you know, for the students, and we really like the fact that it's run by the students. And so, did you go through Launchpad? Like, why? So yeah, no, I, I didn't, and then okay. that's a, that's a pretty key part of it. Is um, the team that runs Launchpad, 
don't uh, don't participate, they they facilitate, right? And and the point of that is that it takes a lot of effort. It's a little sure. bit like a business in and of itself. And so we want to make sure that we're we're staying focused on that. Um, the reason why I built it or why I wanted to get involved um, was because I did want to start a business when I came to business school. Um, and when I looked at the resources that were there uh, existing, LBS Launchpad was this thing that had, had been created the year before. Um, and I felt like that was something that needed to be built out, right? That was that was a resource that the, st- the students didn't currently have for how to bring their ideas into reality. So how did, uh, maybe if we step back, you said Lunchbite was, was very, it was created last year, I understand, right? Two years ago. So, okay. So 2017 okay. was the first year. And um, yeah. And that, and how did that come about? And what was like kind of, the, do, you, do you have an understanding of how did it co- yeah. shape up? Loosely, it was a uh, the founding team were a group of students who basically had the same viewpoint that I okay. did, which was that yeah. there needed to be more resources for students who wanted to start a business, and it needed to be removed from some of the bureaucracies that uh, large institutions naturally have. It needed to be agile. It needed to be more entrepreneurial, yeah. right? And therefore, it needed to be um, driven by the community. So nice. I mean, you you hear about it once you get into the school. You hear a lot a lot of people mm. speaking about Lunchpad. Mm. Uh, in your own words, how would you describe the program to someone just the first time they hear about it? Yeah. Uh, so I would describe it as a very low risk, okay, but quite high intensity way to test an idea that you've had mm. over four months part time. Um, so what we're trying to build is a way for uh, people who have either deep expertise in an area or an idea that they've always thought would be good to build but are maybe potentially not willing to take that full plunge into one of the more traditional accelerator types um, or to quit their job to give them a way to uh, validate some of that those uh, early ideas and put a structure around it um, and connect them to people who can help them really develop that idea and take it forward Um, and we found that uh, we attract a very interesting type of person. Mm-hmm. A lot of people who have six, seven, eight years of experience, maybe still working full time, um, and just need that little push to get them over the edge. And they're maybe not a traditional entrepreneurial uh, background, but that doesn't mean they're any less valid as a founder's profile. Yeah. And so it sounds like that, uh, like, you know, you're talking about people with full time jobs. So not mm. all of the people that enter Launchpad are then full time LBS students. No, no. Uh, that's actually a, a big part of what we say. We say we run out of the school, but open to the broader community. Um, and that's part of what gives the program its strength. It's a very, very, very diverse program, both in terms of where the participants come from, but also in terms of their profile and their age and demographics. You know, we're, we're quite happy with the fact that we're almost 50-50 male-female. Mm. We have an age range of our youngest participant is about 20 and our oldest participant is about 55. So, you know, they're pro- we do skew slightly younger, but we do have the uh, cross-pollination from different sectors and from different ages that a lot of programs don't have. Um, mm. And I think that's a really, really cool part of what we do and, and something that's pretty special. So how does one get past your rigorous appetite? <laughs> <laughs> bribes. No, no, no bribes, no bribes, no bribes. Uh, no, so we, it's a really, really good point. And that's something that we've been working on to, to formalize and mature as we go along. So it, the application process is pretty simple because people do not apply with a fully developed business. 
So we look at a couple of very simple criteria. We look at your founder profile um, and whether you have domain expertise in the area that you want to found a business. And then we ask you to give us a rough idea of what you believe your market size is. So isn't it an exciting market? Is it a market that's evolving or do you have a particularly interesting take on an established market? Um, and then we also look at how well you, th you can define your problem and solution from an early stage. Um, that's, not a, that's not a hugely long application. It's about four or five questions, probably you know, a one page of A4. We use the Lean Canvas to, for people to apply. And then that, pro that um, document is reviewed by a team of external VCs okay. who work across a range of sectors. Um, so the committee will sit in on that and listen, but we, we remain completely impartial, obviously, because we are students. We know a lot of the participants mm -hmm. who are coming in. So what we've tried to do is outsource a lot of that, okay. mainly because this is, you know, this is a learning experience for a lot of the students who are on the team. Uh, but second of all, we want the, the businesses that come in to be really rigorous because we're not just trying, you know, this is not like a student club where the businesses that come through it, people will ditch. We want businesses that are going to go on to raise proper funding rounds to, you know, make a material impact on the, on the industry that they're operating within. Um, you know, sometimes <laughs> we miss we miss a couple of good ones, <laughs> um, but we you know we're working to iterate on that every year, and we get really really good feedback from teams who do get in, and teams that don't get in, and and what what is the most encouraging to me is that a lot of teams who don't get in keep going, yeah. right, and they and they stay plugged in, they stay plugged into the ecosystem here, um, and we we want to we distribute a lot of the resources that um, that the facilitators give the teams that are actually on the program to to the broader community. Um, and that's pretty important as well. Perfect, thank you. Uh, and just kind of, uh, okay, so we, we spoke about the application process. What I want to, to speak about more the content of the program. Mm. So mm. I, I know that you kind of, um, the program is designed to guide you from, uh, from validating to your idea to launching uh, yeah. the company sort of. Yeah, so uh, the content is, Exactly, to take you from I have an idea to I am in a credible space to either receive uh, startup funding and okay. that's, that's sort of pre-pre-seed. We're yeah. talking about, we're not talking about 500k plus investment, we're talking about I want to build an MVP and I need to raise a bit of money. I want, I want something to, to get a product into, uh, into the hands of some customers. Um, but that depends entirely on the type of business that is coming through. We have, like I said, we have a very diverse cohort. So we'll have some satellite businesses where obviously they are not looking to get the, over the four months, they're not looking to be at a point where they're, they're in a place mm. to develop their initial prototypes. But we might have some consumer businesses where um, over the four months they, they do develop their idea to a point where it's ready to receive funding. So, you know, we take them through... Um, design thinking frameworks we take them through how to fund their business we talk them through marketing strategies we talk them through their product development cycles um, some of the legal aspects of uh, founding a business because you know these are the kind of the, the founders who haven't necessarily worked in a small businesses before um, and they don't know about some of the things that you know seasoned entrepreneurial people who work in small businesses you know they would take for granted so it's, it's we assume no prior existing knowledge and how do you, like it's, you know, you said you have a very diverse group of companies that are in there at all kind of different stages and that will take different amounts of time to mm. get to a place where sort of launch pad curriculum is designed to take them. 
So how do you design a program that fits all of like a satellite company and a consumer products company? Because to me, that seems like that's a big challenge. <laughs> yeah, it's been a bit of a bumpy road. And, and the truth is, is, you know, over the first two years, we mess up a lot. Um, but we have a we have a very quick iteration cycle when when we feedback very quickly uh, with the teams who are in there, mm-hmm. um, and th- what we do is we we do one big review at the beginning and we say okay what were the big learnings from the previous year, but then also at each stage when we know more about the businesses that are going to come through and how they're developing, we leave certain elements about what we're going to cover. Uh, open to to change, more flexible. So, for example, if we were to get in a um, a certain type of business this year, uh, one of the the issues that we will be correcting for next year is we had a lot of uh, physical products, a lot of physical. We had sort of agri tech businesses that were being building biodigesters, and we have as a, uh, a renewable microwavable packaging uh, company coming through, and a lot of our workshops were set up to facilitate digital businesses. Um, okay. So one of the feedback points from this year was, okay, hang on a second, it's great that you brought in uh, a Python powerhouse agency to help me prototype my business, but my, my business is prototyped that way. So, you know, <laughs> that, was a, that was a good learning for, that was a good learning. And, but what, what we like about our cohort is that they're, you know, they're very forgiving with us. They know yeah. that this is, this is a, they're part of, an, of building something that is, that is for the community and, um, and I think part of the good thing is, you know, we're not taking an equity from them. So, okay. you know, it's, it's sort of, uh, they're, they're a little bit more forgiving because of that. Yeah. And so what, what is sort of the one big change that has been made under your leadership? Uh, <laughs> uh, what is that? You'd have to ask some of the team. Uh, I would say that the, the biggest thing that, that I've tried to push for is the viability of the businesses that come out of there. Um, moving from a pitching competition to a proper accelerator program that has high caliber uh, businesses and high caliber investors who are going to review those businesses. So incentivizing the teams to, to not view this like an additional class project that they do, but something that is going to be a viable alternative to pursuing a career at Amazon, Google, Facebook, or one of the top management consultancy firms, which is where these some of these some of the other options that some of these people think that they have, mm-hmm. um, and that's been you know, priority number one to get the quality of, of the applicants up. Um, and then the second part is to sort of dream quite big about what this could be. Uh, the team that we have this year and, and some of the other people who were involved last year really believe that there is a gap in the market for a um, like a de-risk accelerator, basically. Uh, that can be really, really big, and we can generate some content here and, and an environment that is that um, that can we can spread content out beyond LBS mm. to some of the, the the underserved groups who don't have access to these resources, um, and that's really going to be the biggest push for next year. Is going to be okay. How do we take what we've learned now? We've we've sort of codified the the program. We know what's happening. Um, how can we how can we expand this out? Um, and make it a little bit more evergreen. Yeah, which is always like kind of best part. Interesting, you do something, you learn mm. from it. I think what what I'm gonna do with it next. Um, I want to ask you also about like the partners that you had with mm. the with the program and kind of uh, did you have a selection of process where they? How did you go about it? Kind of getting program, getting sorry partners into the program. 
Yeah. Um, so a lot of that was we inherited some contacts from the previous okay. year, which was useful. Uh, a core few contacts who who really set the foundation of the program. Um, so we worked with Frog Design, who uh, BC Digital, mm. BCG Digital Ventures, yeah. um, and Forward Partners. You know they really set a lot of the framework there. And uh, once you have a few of those established brand names involved, and um, you can start to 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 move out through personal connections through the the net uh, the networks of the club. So as part of the entrepreneurship club here, which has got an incredible network of. Um, alumni and uh, different businesses throughout London and Europe who want to be involved. Uh, so some of them, you know, initially we had to reach out on cold call because we had no, uh, we had no web footprint, right? So they didn't really, no one really knew what the brand name yeah. of August Launchpad was. Uh, that was another big thing that we've been working on is like trying to get ourselves out there so people know what the brand is. And then that's, then, you know, that's what I'm happiest about this year is we're starting to have a bit more when we reach out to people, they're like, oh, I saw something on LinkedIn. I saw a, I saw a post like that. Oh, one of the LBS Launchpad businesses pitched at this, uh, at this uh, you know, we have two businesses pitching at NOAA conference. Like, we're hoping to get people out there. Um, and then hopefully they come to us. <laughs> a long time ago. And so how many companies have graduated from Launchpad now? Uh, through um, the two years that I've been there, we have about 30 Okay. 30 oh, or 40 okay. who've gone the whole way through 30 who've gone the whole way through um, and then we we so maybe it's helpful if I explain how the funnel works so we yeah. you know this year we had over 100 application team applications and that's about 250 300 individuals um, and then we funnel that down to about 25 that we can take into the first part of the program okay um, and that was the review process that I said where they just leave a submitted in canvas. And what we what we do with that twenty five is we put them through the first four workshops, and then there's another sort of narrowing down of the field for people who really know that this is something. There's something there. There's something more than just an idea. Um, and that comes down. This year came down to fifteen. Uh, last year was at ten, and then we had a few others that kind of came along. So, so they see the whole program through and they pitch at the final pitch evening that we have where we invite the investors and the accelerators to come and see the team. And have you been keeping track of all the previous companies to see like... Not as well as I should have, but not, yeah, no IPOs yet, <laughs> or at least not that I know of. But uh, yes, so we have done a, an informal job of keeping in touch and, and there are probably two or three from last year that are... Um, that are still really going strong and keep in touch with us. Okay. Um, and this year, I think we're probably going to look to about 11 or 12 of the 15 that are either going to go into incubators, raise uh, mm-hmm. funding. So it's be, there's been a real uptick in the number of businesses that are, that are credible from mm-hmm. last year to this year, which, is, which has been very... Uh, which has been great for us. So tell us about one of the gems. If I've got you know, 10 grand to invest, who do I give it to? Oh, uh, that's still 10 grand to invest. I'm not sure how far that'll get you, but let me see. 100? Let me see. No, um, no, there are some really, it depends what your interest is, right? So we, there are some people tackling some really big problems. Uh, there's a company called Greenvest that came through and they are trying to use artificial intelligence uh, to optimize the positioning and, and growth of clean energy plants, right? And so they've got three very, very smart, smart um, 
aerospace engineers and, and AI experts that, that know a lot more than I do. So they'll be able to tell you a bit more about what they do, but they're solving a big problem. On the other end of this business, um, other end, we have some really good consumer businesses. So if you're looking for a short-term high growth potential <laughs> businesses, we have people bringing um, digital fashion uh, bringing what are they doing? They're bringing fashion. It's a, uh, they're the people who actually won the program. Uh, they are bringing um, pop-ups, fashion pop-ups, uh, onto social media. So the kind of a flash sale concept. Um, and the judges are completely blown away by their take on the retail model. Um, so so they're quite they're an interesting one to watch. People solving pension solutions. So if you're into if you're into saving for your future, there's a company called Wallaby. They're started by Ido, who's a great great founder. Um, so it really just depends on where your interest is. Okay, so there's a few. So if you had 30, you'd invest in three. That's what I'm hearing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I invest in all of them. I invest in all of them. No, I think, I think that's what well, the process is really. The ones that get through to the 15 should all be investable. Okay. Yeah. Right? It just depends on your focus. It depends on your risk profile. It depends on what your return horizon is, what you're looking for. And I think what we need to get better at is, you know, some of the business we had a company called Naked Packaging. They mm. came over from Imperial. Um, some of the MSc students. They are they're building a a, com, uh, a compostable microwavable packaging okay. business. You know they're trying to solve some of this plastic, the, the quite popular plastic issue, but they're yep. doing it in a way. Um, you know their 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 development cycle is going to be three to four years, five before they even have a product. They have to they have they're still in the lab. Right, so if you're if you're on a ten year horizon, that's a great company, you know. That, so that's the way you kind of have to look at. It. Yeah, and I, I just kind of like it's good that you did it, you brought this up uh, this point. And when you look at these businesses that kind of take a much longer period to kind of become uh, validated, uh, and how do you accommodate basically uh, a program for these kind of businesses? How do you accommodate them within your program? Uh, because it's a bit of a difficult when you have like a much easier consumer products, much easier to take to market, and then I think a lot of the information is uh, is easier kind of to get there. But when you have like a very much deep tech business, uh, what did you see uh, the challenges that these guys are facing that is different from a consumer business? That be my question. Uh, that's a that's a very good question because I think they they do have a different set of challenges. Uh, they. What we try and do is keep the content uh, at a general, at a level of generality where any business can benefit from learning about it. Mm. Any business can understand how to root their their problem in a user from a user centric viewpoint. Any business can understand some of the trials and tribulations of raising early stage financing. It may be from different sources. It might be over slightly different timescales. Mm. But to get the fundamentals, or from a legal standpoint, of how to actually incorporate, build up your term sheets, set up your founders agreements. You know how to not be screwed over the future when you take on your first investment. That kind of content mm. is useful to. Regardless yeah. of where you are, and, and you know, just particularly some of the businesses that come from more of a um, a technical background, without some of the commercial aspects, what we like is 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 having that cross pollination. Okay. Right? So they learn from some of the more commercial yeah backgrounds in the program, some some of that information. Yeah, you guys had the. I attended the 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 last event. It was really fantastic. Like really job well done. Uh, I didn't feel like that <laughs> behind the scenes. We were still frantically running around. No, no, no they, it, the team did a really good job. Yeah, it looked it. really yeah. fantastic. I mean, the startups looked like proper companies. Everything looked really strong and solid. Um, just wanted to kind of, how do you see these 
companies that we know we talked about them some of them are still going strong but how do you kind of support them to keep continuing going strong how how what kind of do you have a link with the lbs incubator or how do you see that yeah go so we get developing? a great amount of support from uh the institute of innovation and entrepreneurship here from okay. jeff skinner um so they're also involved in the incubator okay so what uh, there's there's a great uh, link that we make with some of the more institution uh, institutionalized programs here, like the incubator. So so some will go on. We have three we have three businesses from last year's, last year's launchpad in the LBS incubator oh, this year. Okay. Um, the results of this year's application process for the incubator will come out on Friday. So I'll let you know. I'll give you an updated <laughs> version on this year's success. Yeah. But hopefully we'll have a similar similar or more mm. in there. Um, we need to think through what we do for the businesses after they come out of Launchpad. I think right now in these early years has been about getting that experience right. Mm. Um, and then now we need to think about how we support them further on. There's okay. talks about raising a, a, an LBS Launchpad fund mm. that we can start saying, okay, we're going to try and raise a pre-seed fund mm. and you know, come back to us in six to nine months and we'll let's and let's see how we can do work with that. Um, but yeah, I mean it's okay. I mean there's so many different startup accelerators and companies that help the other different kinds of businesses in the ecosystem yeah. that help companies at different stages. So That's I mean true. maybe it's okay for Launchpad to be what it is, yeah, like this ideation Launchpad. Yeah, um, I think you're right there actually. Yeah, and I think about it. It's like. We try and bring enough of those accelerators to the final demo day so that they can meet them. Mm. Um, I think you're right. Is that I think if we try to become too many things, yeah, it'd probably be much probably more. devalue the experience. There's yeah. probably a little bit more that we can do in terms of facilitating some of the intros. Yeah, um, it's something to think about. For yeah, sure. uh, just want to kind of touch base with you about like what do you think? What were the learnings from the, the experience that you had this year? Anything mm. kind of to take into next year? I learned that the team that you build these kind of things with is the most important thing, to be okay. honest. I think the team that we had this year was incredible. The way they they stepped into, they step in, you know, without any really pre, real pre-existing mm. knowledge of what they're about to do. Um, so so learning how to, to navigate that was, was very, <laughs> very valuable. Um, and then probably... Just understanding the complexities of how these things work and the different stakeholders that are involved the whole way through the process, how to create something that is essentially free, um, where no one's being paid anything, but everybody's working towards something that they think is valuable, okay. right? Which is creating an environment that's good for entrepreneurs and not, you know, isn't is is about is about learning you know this is this is this is about learning it's a learning process mm. that is put into a you know commercially viable packaging at the end of the day but it they learn a lot and that's really the, that's that's the aim and you know we talked a little bit about just before we turn the mics on yeah that how <laughs> uh you know this movement of entrepreneurial learning within business schools is it's not something that's local it's this is something that's going on around the world mm. um What's your sort of sense, your feeling, like, why is it happening? Where are the hot spots? Mm. Um, yeah, that's, I mean, that's a huge topic of conversation, uh, at least amongst the students and definitely amongst, uh, talking with Jeff from the Institute. Um, the, the amount of energy that comes around entrepreneurship when people come into the London Business School is wild. You know, there are entrepreneurship 
WhatsApp groups, Slack groups, everything's setting up. Everybody wants to, to figure out what's going on. Um, there's, a, there's a sort of sentiment that the, the hubs of entrepreneurship out at MIT and Stanford and some of the other places in, the, in North America is where, you know, that's where you go if you want to be an entrepreneur in the business school or business environment. And what we really want to show is that that is, not the, that is a great viable option, but London has a huge amount to offer and London Business School is a great place to develop a business. You know, it, there's a, it's a debate online, you'll see it on LinkedIn, you'll see it everywhere, being like, why on earth would you come to a business school? Why would you spend a, a, a money to go start, learn to start a business? Why not just go launch yeah. and start? Um, and that's a sort of debate that I've sort of flip-flopped back and forth on, <clears throat> excuse me, over the last couple of years. But I think what you get, you know, what you realize here is the experiences that people have um, and the the classes that you take here and the different initiatives that you can get involved in within a business school environment that you can't get elsewhere and some of the the faculty who have done who have themselves been entrepreneurs themselves who have worked in VC are there the resources are all there for you to draw on at any point through your founding journey and the community that you get is is huge you're immediately plugged into a community of people who want you to succeed who are going to support you from financing from advice uh, you know, from mentorship, whatever you're looking for is, is, you know, is here. And I think MBA students are really starting to feel that. And, and they're starting to say, okay, you know, there are, you know, <laughs> there are opportunities that I can, t- that I can take uh, that are outside of the traditional career paths. How well are you guys integrated? So like there's, there's a class developing mm-hmm. entrepreneurial opportunities. Mm-hmm. There's the entrepreneurial summer school. There's the incubator and there's you guys. Are you guys, do you all talk and is there overlap? Do you share resources or are you all separate? And there is Hackathon as well. And Hackathon, and hackathon. the e-club, right? Yeah. We're yeah. part of the e-club. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Um, it's a good question. It's something that the school, the yeah. innovation, everyone's trying to figure out what does yeah. this ecosystem look like? And it's run pretty, pretty <laughs> not, it, it's, it's, uh, it's run in a way that they all coexist and, and there's communication when it's necessary, but it's quite hard to coordinate all the different aspects, mm-hmm. but uh, you know, we do talk. We talk with with all of them. You know, I'm a member of the entrepreneurship club. That's how I got involved with Launchpad in the first place, right? You know, the the hackathon is run for the entrepreneurship club, and we see it as a great way. We LBS Launchpad takes the winner of the LBS hackathon into the program, right? So there's a that we're trying to create a funnel for people who they come in. They, they come into business school they're from outside of LBS and they come in and they say well, I want to be involved in a journey that takes me from either no experience in entrepreneurship to or some experience all the way through and you know gives me a credible path that I can understand and, and the faculty you know provide an incredible input to the entrepreneurial journey here and um, they do it in a from a, probably from a more academic standpoint but the, you know there's a lot to learn from those classes I took some of them while I was here um, so th- there's probably some more integration that could happen. Yeah, uh, I think, but also you kind of lose that entrepreneurial spirit that goes around. Yeah, I think, I kind of so think that too. I, mean, I, I, don't, I don't know. I, I think it's, it's it's tricky because you know we we had this conversation the other day, which was, um, you know, is entrepreneurship about wanting to work in an early stage business, or is entrepreneurship about wanting to found and start a business? And nice. I think there's two slightly different things. You know, there's a there's a startup person and then there's, an, there's a founder 
and they're slightly different people. Um, and there are lots of there are lots of classes and there are lots of um, clubs. Like the Tech Media Club is a brilliant example of that here, where they are really focused on a lot of startup high growth businesses. Um, where I think that Launchpad tries to fit in, obviously Launchpad is is to to take the founders, a slightly different profile, and give them something that's mm. just dedicated to them. It's just about starting businesses. It's just about being that profile and learning from those people. Um, and we have to figure out how to, how to integrate that into some of the more academic programs where you might have people who are just interested in learning about entrepreneurship but don't necessarily have an idea yeah. or interested in going through the process or the motions on a business but you know, they're going to go take a consulting job. Um, and there's no problem with that. There there's definitely needs to be part of the education here, but it's just a different thing. Hmm. Yeah. I think um, kind of if someone today is looking to apply for the next mm-hmm. lunchpad... <laughs> What, what are your advice and kind of how to prepare themselves, maybe using the time before the next version starts? Yeah, so I mean, the, the applications will open in, in August and, okay. and will close in January. Um, and my biggest advice there is to get into the series of events that will run from August, late August through November to come and meet meet the team, meet the different, different people who we're gonna bring together from mm-hmm. technical and business backgrounds. Um, Think about what are you know? How are you as a founding profile? You know, in this business, in in this idea that you have, would you back yourself? If you don't, if if you have a if you have one part of the full puzzle, find someone who completes your completes your application process in terms of that domain expertise we were talking about. Um, think about your market size. Think if FLBS Launchpad is the right place for you. There are lots yeah. of other places that you can go to build a business. Yeah. Think about whether. You know, look at the look at the workshop content and be yeah. like, do I really need this? And that was some of the feedback I gave to some of the businesses that were that potentially had a slightly longer development cycle. I was like, look, we're pretty upfront with what we offer you. If this is not what you want, you know, if if you think you can get something out of this, please, we we want you to apply. If you don't feel like this is the right program, let us help you find something that's more that's more suited to what you guys are looking for. But but mainly, you know, think about your founding profiles. Think if you need to to meet someone who completes your your uh, application and come along and get involved. Awesome. So what's next for you, Freddie? Uh-huh. You, you were saying <laughs> that you got into this because you wanted to be a founder. Yeah, 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 yeah. So um, I will be, I'm working on a social enterprise at the moment with a, okay. with a co-founder, a um, friend of mine, that is probably going to take up a large portion of my time. Um, so that's probably where I want to go long term. I think the the challenge for me right now is is what stage that's at. Uh, so I have to I have to balance that with some of the pressures to you know some of the other uh, very early stage businesses that I'm looking at to go join. So I may it'll be either early stage business or or social enterprise full time. But uh, we'll see. Best okay. of luck. That's exciting. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, ultimately, I, just, I still want to get a, keep, stay involved with Elvis Launchpad. You know, I still want to, uh, I still want to help. You know, this is a community that we've built, and I think the whole the whole point is, is that you never really leave the team that 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 uh, organizes it. You're always going to be feeding back, yeah. making sure that some of that knowledge is is passed on. That um, even the participants that they come back, that they mentor, that they advise, that they um, that they might be judges, that they might invest, you know, all these different things, partner with, hire from. Mm. Um, 
So, you know, that's really what I'm most excited about in the future, see how I can stay involved in some way before they kick me out. <laughs> <laughs> well, great. Yeah. Uh, thanks so much for your time, Freddie. Really yeah, thank you so much for having me in. Thank and, you very uh, much. And now that we know someone on the inside, maybe I can... Yeah, maybe you can yeah. die next year. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Cheers, guys. Awesome. Right. Thank thanks. you. Thank you so much. Thank you guys uh, very much for listening and thank you Freddie for joining us on this episode of the Liar podcast. Yeah, thanks so much everyone. Like it's been a very interesting five episode season yeah. for us. <laughs> thank you Alias and Alim as well for for being a part of it. I think we've all really enjoyed yeah. the process of making podcasts, being able to kind of speak about things, yeah. trying to find new stories. It's been a really fun thing. So I hope we can continue to do it in the future. Yeah, for sure. Speak to you soon guys. Bye.